Hey, it's Nick. For the last few years, my friend Justin has been working on Shards of the Aegis, a super fun Greek mythology-inspired card game, and it's finally ready to launch on Kickstarter. If you like fast-paced party games, this might be for you. The artwork alone is well worth a look. If you're at all interested, please check the link in the description. I'd really appreciate it. All right, back to our story. So what happens is this. The bookkeeper's nine to five back then was doing the books for one of Solomon's associates. But the associate gets a little too fucking smart and starts giving money on the side. So when Jacob Sullivan finds out, he tells the bookkeeper to invite the associate over because two of them were good friends. So the bookkeeper's wife and daughter visit her mother and the associate comes over. They have some drinks, have some cigars, and once he's good and sloshed, a few of Sullivan's guys pay a little visit. One of them puts a 45 to the back of his skull, pulls the trigger. And the same thing's gonna happen to you when we get to Boulder City. Hi, okay. Open face tuna melt from me. Swap the mozzarella for cheddar. If you can slip that past your goddamn creep of a boss. For you. Uh, nothing. No, order something. I'm not hungry. Uh, I want you to order something. I'm not hungry. What do you mean you're not hungry? I mean, I'm not hungry. Well, then get something for the road. I'm not hungry. Order something, you stupid fuck. Tuna melt. You want cheddar on that or mozzarella? What? Cheddar or mozzarella? Cheddar or mozzarella? <laughs> you gotta pick one. So we weren't recording, and now we're recording, and I made the joke that Joel Kinnaman's nickname should be Kinnaman Toast Crunch, mm. and I just wanted to get that out there on the record before Nick stole the joke out from under me, which I know he was planning on doing. Well, now it's not as funny. It doesn't have the spontaneity that it had before it's done. No. Sometimes you just burn things off mic, and it's so frustrating. That is the life of a podcaster right there. I was like, that's gold, Nico. It's gold. Gold. It's like when, uh, well, Rob had a great idea. Should we like burn it? Do you want to burn it before, before two cents? I wanted to steal the idea, but now it's a little too late. We've already attributed to him, but I'm thinking <laughs> well, maybe we haven't said we... what the idea is. So we could just say, well, so we have this other idea. I'm, we're going to ignore that idea that I was just talking about, but we had this Nico and I. <laughs> Had this other idea, <laughs> completely yeah. unrelated, right? Different idea, right? For a great reality TV show. I know you guys know I'm a big reality TV guy. <laughs> yes. You're a junkie, <laughs> the biggest. Can't get enough. Mm. And it is called. Hold on, I wrote it down in our group chat. <laughs> <laughs> in the group chat of just you and me. <laughs> yeah, I think in the group chat of Nico and I, I wrote it down. Uh. It's <laughs> oh Jesus! Nico's like I don't. What's... Maybe I won't have to edit any of this. Nico, what was my idea called? What was my idea? Maybe I think this is great. I think this is absolute gold. Maybe I won't need to touch this audio once we're done. No, I mean this is oral pleasure. This is just perfect. Oh, it was called Last Dates. Last date. Last dates. Here's yeah. the idea that Nick and I actually Nick really came up with it and I kind of helped you workshop it a little bit. All right, I'm the stupid right. studio head. You gotta pitch this to me. Okay. So you've seen a lot of dating shows where the dates go well, right? I've never seen any dating shows. Okay. Well 
I imagine <laughs> someone in your life has seen a dating show at one point. I would imagine so. And it's always like the first date, right? It's like, you know, you wine and dine them, you give them a rose, you come back, you report on how the date went. You know, you're getting to know somebody. What if we flip it 360? Actually, 180, not 360. 180 style. And it's the last date. It's people that are planning on breaking up with their significant others, get a camera crew in a restaurant, and this can be anywhere from a from a, a nascent relationship that's in its early stages, a bunch of young 20-somethings, all the way into like 50-year-olds looking to divorce after 30 years of marriage. Oh, Lord. Right? And you film the breakup. But it's like one person doesn't know, obviously, that they're about to be right. broken up with. So no dating. No, it's the uh, it's the anti dating show. It's last dates. How is that a show? Because <laughs> it's on TV. <laughs> what a stupid question! You know they have TV shows about cleaning out your closet, Adam. Like, I mean, <laughs> you can ask someone, "Hey, what's your favorite show about cleaning out your closet?" and get unique answers every time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, good lord! I love it. Last a, dates. It's a good idea. Greenlit. Yeah, green green I had. Yeah. Go picture. Uh, Eight thousand dollars. Okay. I'll take it. <laughs> Honestly, that's probably twice what we need. We'll shoot it in the volume. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, Kinnaman Toast Crunch. That's the topic of today's pod, along with Nicolas Cage. It certainly is. Because the movie is called Sympathy for the Devil. It's from not just this year, but this week. It literally just came out on VOD and in select cinemas across the country. Sympathy for the Devil. Not based on the Rolling Stone tune. There are some carryovers, though. I spotted a couple. It's funny you mention that because Nicolas Cage, who is top billed in this movie and was handed the script on top of the trash heap of tens of thousands of scripts he must get on his desk every year uh committing to all of those tens of thousands committing of to all of them but but sneaking a peek at this one and being like yeah i like that song tell me more about this movie not kidding you wait what he did this movie because of the name of the song even though the song is not featured in this movie and has no connection to the plot whatsoever that's all you need to do <laughs> just it. give it a cool name just hope he likes the name of your tune what tier of cage are we at here it's hard to judge because I think it's an extremely cagey performance. I guess we'll get into our feelings on the quality of the movie in general. Uh, I had a lot of thoughts. But yeah, I mean, it's like classic Cage, I would say. That's kind of cool. It's been a little while. This is Cage properly cast and off his leash. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's clearly not a lot of oversight on Cage's performance here. It's kind of just do your thing. Yeah. And it works. I like continue to be astounded how this dude is able to elevate truly horrible material (laughs) (laughs) and make a movie watchable just by pure cage weirdness, because there is not much about this movie that I find redeemable at all, except for cage, who is just once again, fucking trying his best. And it is amazing that this guy has a 20-year run of doing performances exactly like this one. Well, because it's weird. I think the movie around him, like, he doesn't fit in the movie that was written. But at the same time, he's also, like, 
Aside from one other detail, which we'll get into, but I think he's uh, clearly the thing that makes it the most watchable and the most fun. <laughs> it's not even close. No, no, no question. I mean, you don't have a movie here without Kate. <laughs> no, it's this unholy union of collateral, uh, lock, and a history of violence. Those were literally the three movies I wrote Are down you in kidding me? L- literally, dude. <laughs> literally <laughs> fucking... Look at this. I also put red eye on that list. So we're three out of four. I was looking at a red eye too. I was literally like, yeah, red eyes, maybe a little bit of a stretch, but those other three, it is such a ripoff. <laughs> no, it is so offensively a ripoff of better movies. I know. I know. It's like, I mean, it's really crazy. Yeah. You have the lock element of the guy that is trying to get to his partner's birth. Yep. Yep. Right. While right. trapped in a car. Trying to reach the baby in time. Trying to reach the baby in time. She is quite distressed. Yep. As Tom Hardy says in that movie. <laughs> also dealing with the big poor. <laughs> the most important part. It's going to be a big poor. It's a big poor. Um, you seen Locke, Nick? <laughs> no. Locke is fucking great. <laughs> Locke is Tom Hardy in a car for an hour and a half. And that is it. And it is riveting. <laughs> it is. It's a really good movie. It's fucking awesome. Really good movie. There's like a bunch of like awesome actors that are just doing voice performances in that movie, right? Like Tom Holland's doing a voice performance as the kid, the son. Yeah. Tom Holland is in it. Olivia Coleman is on the phone. Yeah. Wilson, Andrew Scott. Who's the guy? Yeah. It's a comedy actor who was in fucking bridesmaids. He's in that. Um, He's doing a voice role. He's the guy who gets like drunk. He's like, I had one cider. (laughs) That guy fucking rips. dude. (laughs) It's really good. A little bit of that. Um, History of violence in the, this guy has a mysterious past that may or may not be true. Yep. But collateral being the big one. Yeah. I kept thinking like, okay, like what the hell is the point of even watch this movie when I have these other movies that just do it so much better in every way. Now, again, there are redeeming qualities to this movie, which we'll get into, but I, the, the basic setup for the movie, like I would not go and see this movie if it wasn't for the, the two leads here. I, I, I mean, I'll, I'll say this though. I think I was also worried about the Kinnaman of it all, but I'll tell you what, I'm pretty okay with Joel Kinnaman in this movie. Nah, Kinnaman is, he's the man. Dude. I like him. I like the guy. A little dash of Kinnaman in your tea. Yeah, right. Yeah. Little, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. absolutely. That that being said, I'm not sure he's acting a lot of the time. All right, we'll talk about Kin- we have to table the Kinnaman talk, all right, for our Wall Street Futures segment in a second, because I need to give an update on my Kinnaman stock, all okay. right, that I have been holding for a decade. He's kind of like a, a, a sexy, perfect mannequin that you could just put anywhere, and he just does what needs to be done. He's a re- he's, He shows up for a wordless role in fucking girl with the dragon tattoo for well, it's not word he doesn't say anything he, yeah he doesn't I mean, say yeah but it's not like wordless in like a you know mysterious like who is this That's, guy way. no i mean no, literally, literally an extra yeah yeah but i'm sure they pay i'm sure they paid him more than your typical extra no but he's paid. just a guy in an office right yes he, he was a main character not a main character but a notable character in the book for a certain part of that and he's just just there just for no reason <laughs> well i wonder if oh i Probably. don't know the story did they cut part of the performance or was were they planning on using him in the sequel or something that must be. i would imagine yeah yeah exactly Okay, let's get in Kinnaman. Fine. Fuck it. Fine. Okay, guys, you win. Kinnaman. Why do you hold on to worthless stocks, by the way? I am a really bad investor. Okay. <laughs> I have a very diversified portfolio, but it's all gone to shit. <laughs> like, lately. sell that shit. <laughs> Neither of you have watched For All Mankind. That's true. 
I like Joel Kinnaman. I do. <laughs> no, but you but you don't like him enough to say like that it's a bad investment at this point would be just flat out false. Three seasons of this guy. Here's my thing. I don't think he's a leading man. That's ultimately the problem. He was incredible in the killing as like the sidekick cop, you know, like basically a four season David Fincher movie. Essentially, that's what the killing is. Just fucking bleak crime shit. And it's similar to Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, like tonally speaking. He just fits in perfectly in kind of this like I think it's set in Seattle. So it's really rainy and everyone's really droopy and no one ever raises their voice and everyone's always just like upset and sad. And as the fucking sad lanky cop in that, he's awesome. Mm. Then he gets this whole fucking run of action things. He gets put in the RoboCop reboot, which we might be talking about sometime soon on this pod. You know, he was in Suicide Squad. Oh two, yeah. Both Suicide Squad I movies. Totally right? forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He was in the Liam Neeson movie Run All Night. He plays Liam Neeson's son in that. I just don't think like he's a man with the gun. I don't think he's an action star. And I'm happy to hear that he's found a home on For All Mankind. Because I think like as kind of a second fiddle in a show or like a part of, a, of an ensemble where he doesn't have to carry much of the star power, I think like that's perfect for him. He should be making shows and movies like that the rest of his life. Yes. I do think he has sort of this weird off kilter energy though. There's an unhinged like anger to the guy that I see that I think is frankly, I actually like the way he's used here as sort of like, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a double lead performance. It's he's not the, obviously not the only guy carrying this thing, yeah, but it's I, the definition of a two hand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, 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 and I think he actually is playing pretty well off of what, cage is doing holy shit but i guess i kind of agree i never really saw him as like the convincing dude with gun in suicide squad yeah what was that character's name <laughs> uh, uh rick flag yeah okay did yeah. i get it that's <laughs> you nailed it i'm looking at the imdb right wow. now congrats to you my memory so yeah kinnaman there was so we're saying pro kinnaman at this point yes Yes. Should I continue to hold the Kinnaman stock? Oh, yeah. He's also in Altered Carbon, right? The first season of that? I never saw Altered Carbon. Altered Carbon is pretty sick if you like sci-fi. I like my Blade Runner. I still kind of like it. Altered Carbon, it's not like doing anything original, but it's pretty good. It's worth the three seasons or whatever, but like if they dragged it out any longer, it would have really been bad well, I again, okay, that's an interesting thing because I'm assuming he's kind of playing the detective type in that. Well, so he's only in, I think, the first season because that show is all about switching bodies. Oh, interesting. And so he is the main character's body in the first season. It, it looked like he was playing sort of a detective type character. And I'm I'm okay with him in a role like that, too. That, that I, th- I think he fits that pretty well, as you said. He was on House of Cards, too, for like a good season and a half. When was he on House of Cards? He was playing Kevin Spacey's opponent in the election. He was? Yes. Oh, my. I don't remember that at all. Yes. He would, maybe you didn't make it that far in House I of Cards, which I understand. <laughs> okay. I hung on to that show a lot longer than most people. And I remember it kind of being like, oh, he's young and hip. He's, you know, kind of this, uh, this new age, similar to actually what they do with Minkin in, the in name succession minkin will never not make me laugh then why, <laughs> why did they name him minkin it just i, I keep going to the fucking pink panther yeah it minkin. A, it's a similar kind of character where he's like he's kind of fast talking and handsome but also like tall and kind of weird okay 
and I don't know, like that was one of the complaints about Minkin and succession and just like this guy would never be fucking president. Like this, <laughs> this guy doesn't have the juice. He ain't going anywhere. And I felt that uh, twofold when uh, Kinnaman was on house of cards. But then again, like I don't think he won that election or maybe he did win and Spacey rigged it. I don't remember. Um, yeah, but I remember that being distracting. My point is he hasn't really found his fucking niche yet. And I, I like him in this mode. I kind of like him in quiet, sad mode. Yeah, me too. You know, me too. But, you know, he's dealing with a script by Luke Paradise. Who the hell is that? <laughs> I have That's who no, wrote this movie. I have no idea, but I saw the name Luke Paradise. I'm like, this movie's going to suck. <laughs> Can we talk about... Yeah, let's talk about this movie. Because I want to defend it a little more. Because it is clear to me that this movie was written in a week and made for a budget of under $10,000 yeah, and probably filmed over the course of four days. I mean, I don't know how many of those things were exaggerations, but I don't think I'm far off on any of those guesses. Like I'll give you one exaggeration, one exaggeration, the, the $10,000 budget thing. I don't know how they would have been able to afford the $30,000 licensing fee for I love the nightlife by Alicia Bridges which Nick Cage paid for out of his own pocket. Look at the draw. Please don't talk about love tonight. Please don't talk about sweet love. Well, that okay, so that doesn't affect the movie budget then. So you That's just proved my point. Fair point. I just saw, found it a nice segue into my fun fact, Nick. All right, go with it. But actually, actually, I will, I will retort. I will. He has a producer credit. He does. So I guess in a way, it is the movie's budget. That's right. He's just like, I really want to sing this song. All of Nick Cage's money is the movie's budget. Yeah, this movie is totally fine. I think you guys are being hard on it. It's 90 minutes in, out. It's fine. It's a good time. Yeah. I don't know. Like, why would anybody be ragging on this thing? I wasn't expecting, like, I wasn't expecting fucking any, anything better than this. It's not the worst thing ever. I think of a good movie to compare it to. You could name one movie. (laughs) It's a name a woman. (laughs) Name a woman. Well, it, it's a lot. It's Nick. It is. It is much, much, much better than The Flash, a movie that cost three hundred million dollars, and that Cage was also featured in. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's right. I'll give you one more thing. I'll give you one more. Better than Renfield, a movie that cost way more money that I watched this afternoon. Oh Lord, I <laughs> to sort of prep for my uh, State of the Cage address. Oh boy, which is another movie. I mean, everything that I'm about to say about Sympathy of the Devil, I can say about Renfield, except at a much larger scale. Once again, a movie that's kind of a two-hander that is only powered by the strength of its leads and that everything else in it is just so fucking flat. Mm. It is a disaster, that movie. And it's such a shame because Cage is there finally getting a chance to play Dracula proper this time as opposed to all of the pseudo Dracula performances he's done over the years. <laughs> like he's barely in the movie. Like he's only got like maybe 15 minutes of screen time and he milks those 15 minutes when he's in there. But goodness, he's in a much different movie than the movie that they're making. Wow. Which is just this like weird toneless 
unfunny, self-aware fucking Deadpool ripoff. Like it's oh. it's really bad. It's really bad. And Cage is in it and he just elevates the thing a full star and a half. Just getting to see him do fucking <laughs> Dracula shit. You know, even though they don't utilize it in the right way. And this movie I find, uh, you know, the exact same. It's, as we said, like the most shameless collateral ripoff I've ever seen, mm-hmm. except with none of Michael Mann's style and with no sense of place. You know, this thing is set in Las Vegas, but you really couldn't tell except for that one drive through the Vegas Strip. I like the opening shots, but I guess I kind of liked them because they were reminding me of some of the opening shots of Collateral. It's the same, yeah, of the LA. overhead yeah, freeway. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, the cars going through. Yeah, it's yeah. like, yeah. I don't know. The people who made this movie are nobodies. I will say this too. I mean, you know, I'm always a proponent of at the end of the day, what is the experience? And it's not from a plot level. It's an amalgamation of those three films, but I didn't have the same experience with this film that I did those movies. Okay. (laughs) But again, a lot of that is the leads. Most of it, almost all of it is the leads. Yeah. I don't know. I I mean, maybe just because my brain is broken. I love (laughs) collateral so much. Well, here's the thing. I'm just sitting there and I'm pointing out and I know I'm just fucking comic book guy, but I'm like pointing out all of the things that ripped off like, Oh, Pulp Fiction Diner ripping that off a history of violence backstory, ripping that off. And I'm just sitting there and being like, this is like bad karaoke of every movie I've ever seen from 1994 to 2015. Yeah. But I, I, I do, I do actually side with, with Nick here. It's like, it's a, it's this tiny little movie. Give it a fucking break. No, I know. And I love Collateral. You know what I mean? Like, I would rip off Collateral too if I was given a budget, okay? I, I get annoyed when movies don't rip off Collateral more because that's the best movie ever fucking <laughs> that's made. That's true. Well, and if you're going to rip off a movie, it better be Collateral. Good point. Because that's what we're talking. Like, we love, I love Collateral. Collateral is like maybe my favorite Michael Mann movie. <laughs> collateral, I could watch Collateral every day for the rest yes. of my life. I never get sick of it. I remember seeing a trailer for that. I, I It's one of those I hate myself moments because the first trailer of that movie I saw, I'm like, I'm never fucking seeing that movie. And then when I finally saw it, I was just it, deep, deep shame for missing it out for like a decade. This is the experience if you're like a man fan and you see heat when you're in college because that's normally a movie that you watch in a dorm room. Yeah. And you're like, movies cannot possibly get better than this. Oh, it turns out like there's a similar kind of L.A. crime thing with Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx. Looks a lot like Heat. I'm sure it will never be quite as good, though. Smaller, not quite as epic. and Right. And then you realize that he just keeps leveling up and you're like, oh, my God, there's greater heights than Heat. And that is what Collateral is. It's actually a better movie than Heat. Fucking rips. And then if you want to try meth, you can do um, Miami Vice. That's right. And then you do Miami Vice, and you're like, oh, my God, the medium of film is breaking. That's too far, Nick. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not being as degenerate as Nico is. It's a little. So great. It's, like, it's so fucking guys, great. Guys, it's so good. It's so good. Fiend for mojitos, bro. I've never seen Collateral, and just these photos of, of Tom Cruise and how he looks in this movie is confusing. Nick, you have no idea. You have no fucking idea. It's easily the best Tom Cruise look. I'm just going to say the best Tom Cruise performance. Yeah, that's really my my body has never been so confused. guys. I don't know what to do. (laughs) Dude, the alleyway scene. It's just the fucking shit. Your boy Mark Ruffalo's in it and you're you. uh, I won't spoil it. Yeah. The way that boy who's boy Mark Ruffalo. Your boy. Isn't he your boy? My boy. I thought you liked it. I don't no, why would I like the guy who replaced Ed Norton? Oh, fair enough. What? <laughs> <laughs> That's the what most the hilarious criticism I've ever heard. <laughs> Damn you for replacing Edward Norton as the Hulk. 
was, I love Ed Norton, dude. I, how dare you sully the integrity of that franchise? <laughs> it was good. They had him. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give Disney the uh, the W on that one. If I'm being honest, I think it was a good recast. It is a very like to begin. Why did they choose Edward Norton? It's such a bad it's choice. So weird. It's you don't so want to see bad. CGI Ed Norton for nine movies. <laughs> Could you imagine him in the fucking Avengers, man? Oh god! Holy shit! Yeah, I actually don't hate that original Incredible Hulk. But, I but I don't either. I don't either. I mean, it's bad in the ways that the new Marvel movies are not bad, you know? it's Well, it's fine. It's fun enough. It's just odd <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because of the casting at times. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. What we're talking about. Yeah. So Collateral. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Collateral's amazing. It's great. Uh, Mark Ruffalo gets shot in, in the middle of the movie. It's <laughs> a great death. It's like, oh, I thought you were going to be a more important character. Nope. What would you say it was? Collateral damage? Oh man, a double bill with collateral and red eye. Oh, oh. Mm. delicious! <laughs> I just watched Red Eye for the first time. Actually, oh really? Hell yeah! <laughs> In prep for Oppenheimer, I, I threw on. Red oh, eye. you never mentioned that. What the hell? Talk about just a base hit down the middle of that movie. You know what I mean? Just Wes Craven just coming in and doing good work and leaving. <laughs> Isn't the ending so like like scream with the way he's flailing about the house like Ghostface? Yeah, <laughs> it's great, dude. What what does it say about movies today that we're just like, man, that movie was like a base hit. Yeah, but they don't make movies like that anymore. But they don't. They don't it's make the, base hits anymore. It just whips by. It's an hour and a half. It's like twenty minutes. I think it's only like an hour twenty. I don't even think it gets to the ninety minutes. Really? Yeah, it just fucking rips. And and Killian is great in it. And uh, Rachel McAdams is great in it. And. You know, just doesn't try to do too much. And I was actually thinking about that movie in relation to this one, Back to Sympathy for the Devil, where there are just like not enough creative complications that happen in the plot of this movie. You know, whereas Red Eye manages to create all of this tension in a condensed environment with really not many characters to play with and not many scenarios to ultimately play with because they're trapped on an airplane. The plot is almost designed Mm -hmm. that way. Mm -hmm. But, you know, this one is this sprawling road trip movie, essentially, that takes place in a day and really only has one major set piece. And the rest of the complications are so flat. And I just kept thinking to myself, man, is this movie going to get kicked into high gear at some point? This cop better get fucking shot. This girl better burst into flames. Like something better go wrong here at some point. And it just feels like it never does until the end. Yeah, it's kind of my biggest note. It's like, yeah, I'm watching it. And I'm like, just not enough really happens is the thing. It's, you know, and it's that like Red Eye does like the Hitchcock thing where you just get a, so much out of just this tiny, tiny, tiny little premise. And how can we ratchet up the tension? How can we make that ticking bomb, whatever you want to call it, just the most enthralling thing? And yeah, it's this one's kind of weird because it's like by nature is sort of doing the Hitchcock thing. And then it's also like a character study sort of uh I don't know. So the, like the speed of one and the slowness of the other don't always mend that well to me, which is why like, you know, there's just a lot of scenes where they're driving in the car and like, I'm a little more annoyed by Nick Cage in part there. Mm. It's not until like we get to the diner that I'm enthralled by <laughs> Nicholas Cage. Yeah. Well, even the, even the diner just felt like, well, we need to get these characters out of the car. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A little behind the scenes for you. Um, this thing was shot. In Las Vegas, it is once again Nick Cage's return to Vegas. He has made now 
by my count, one, two, three, four, five, six movies in Las Vegas, which is also the city he currently resides in. Is that more or less than uh, the amount of movies that Neil Breen has made in Las Vegas? That is a great point. Maybe they're due for a collaboration. I would agree. Um, honeymoon in Vegas, leaving Las Vegas. Con Air takes place at the uh, in Vegas at the end. Next, he plays a magician in Vegas. The Trust from a couple of years ago with Elijah Wood. He's a Vegas cop. Oh. And now this one, Sympathy for the Devil, takes place in Las Vegas. There's there's no way Nick Cage and Breen haven't met, right? Like they they must have met. <laughs> Pumped into each other at the table. Yeah, I was gonna say maybe at a blackjack table. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, definitely, maybe. Here's my budget on my next movie on the table. <laughs> They've just been stealing from each other. <laughs> if I win this hand, we're making sympathy for the devil. I'd li- I'd like to to note, by the way, um, I thought it was very interesting. Um, the makeup and costuming of this movie. And I'm absolutely 100, 100% certain that the red hair was Nicolas Cage's choice and he just showed up and that was that. I got more backstory on that. Really? Uh, oh boy. Las Vegas is where this thing was filmed. Although most of it was not on location in the Vegas streets. It was in a VFX studio that utilizes the same technology that Disney uses in their volume setup, which has become like the standard where they film Star Wars shows and some of the Marvel shit. Rather than a green screen or a blue screen, you have this 360 LED uh, collection of screens that allow actors to play essentially in the physical space. I had a feeling. Yeah. Um, So the hair. Ah. It was Cage's idea. Yes. You're correct about that. Cage saw the title for this movie. He's like, I'm in. Sympathy for the Devil. I love that song. Started listening to this song. (laughs) Sends him down a bit of a rabbit hole. By the way, I read a couple interviews with the director. The director of this movie is named Yuval Adler, who's an Israeli guy. I I imagine a lot of the financing for this thing was uh, international financing. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but I read a bunch of interviews with him. He, he, he had worked with Joel Kinnaman before on a movie just a couple of years ago. But this was his first time, obviously, working with Cage. And he's like, this guy is the most fucking prepared actor I have ever met in my life. Cage? Yes. He just spends weeks and weeks burying himself in the role. He sends text after text to you being like, what can we do with this line? What do you think about this? Can I add this in? Can I get... Everything is just completely thought out. I think... He had done a little bit of research into Yuval Adler and discovered that he had studied philosophy and metaphysics in college. So he's like, <laughs> Yuval, I want to make this kind of an onto was it ontological character, this kind of metaphysical thing where he's a guy from another dimension coming in. So he had all these fucking ideas, right? I want it to be an otherworldly kind of performance. But the real key that unlocked this thing was when he was doing some Mick Jagger deep dives, he watched the film Performance. Ah. The Nicholas Rogue film that Mick Jagger starred in in the late 60s, which is a great fucking movie. Yes, it is a great movie. And there's a scene in that movie where the actor James Fox, who plays the gangster in that, dips his hands in red paint and smears it all in his hair and creates kind of this disguise for himself. Oh. Cage's direct quote is... uh, Uh, He thought in that split second, James Fox created the punk rock movement. (laughs) So he wanted uh, 
Uh, so he was looking into characters in demonology, saw this one picture of a demon called Asmodeus, and he was covered in red. I texted it to the director. He goes, there's our guy. And I showed up with red hair. At first, he was freaking out, and then he got into it. What's remarkable is that choice changed the complete lighting of the movie. So now it's a psychedelic picture. Um, this is Cage. This is what Nick Cage does. Oh, he, yeah. fu- he fuses metaphysics with philosophy with uh, demon lore with uh, performance the Mick Jagger cult classic into this one fucking thing and it kind of makes sense in the context of the movie I think he likes working with small directors so he can basically direct the movie yeah. right? I mean yeah because <laughs> even the suit like like the stupid flashy red suit that's definitely not the director's first choice for like the way this character was going to look. Oh, I'm sure he also didn't have him pick a card in the original script. You mean pick a cad? Pick a cad. Pick a card. Buddy, I'm not an Uber, okay? Are, are, are you robbing me? I didn't say I was robbing you. I said pick a card. Come on, a card, a card, you know. Clubs. say a card yes yeah i mean i don't know he read the title for the movie i don't know if it was written this way but he read the title and it's like sympathy for the devil i guess i'm playing the devil but that's the thing it's just like so hilariously superficial and then he makes up all these excuses for why it's actually really fucking deep but it's like no you just saw the name devil and you're like i'm playing the devil (laughs) i wonder if he thought it was a direct adaptation of the rolling stone song (laughs) It's not far off if you look at the lyrics in the grand scheme. Pleased to meet you. Hope you guess my name. I guess that's kind of. Uh, no, yeah. Kind of part of it. Pretty on the nose. Uh, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe this is more just justifying the fact that he wanted to dress in red. Yes. <laughs> that, that's all it is. <laughs> I like that song. Uh, I'm playing the devil. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> I think that's really what it is. Even though he's not playing the devil. Nick Cage agrees to be in your movie. You bend over backwards and let him do whatever he wants. You know no, what I mean? fair. And I would let him do the same. It's like Aaron Rodgers coming to the Jets. Yeah. Yeah. You right. get all the control. Exactly. 100% right. What if Aaron Rodgers is like, oh, we're changing the logo. Oh, we're my God. Change the color. Change the <laughs> name. Changing change. the logo. I mean, you can change it to the Redskins if you want. <laughs> like, you can literally name it whatever. We're not the Jets. We're the Planes. <laughs> Something like that. Whatever, dude. <laughs> dude, that would be insane. Planes, trains, or automobiles. <laughs> whatever you want. Yeah, I almost thought for a second this was a like sci-fi horror thing with him playing the devil. Well, that's what I was thinking. Is it going to do the devil's advocate sort of thing? Yeah, is that or Angel Heart or something. Yeah. I thought like this was Cage's chance to finally do his De Niro Pacino thing. That's right. You know? And like, I think he is in a sense doing that. Just the script doesn't literally allow him. Mm-hmm. But the the name, as we said, we don't know his name until the end. But the passenger is how he's credited. Mm-hmm. And Joel Kinnaman is credited as the driver. And that is like this really mysterious kind of like tantalizing mystery of like, who are these people? And is this more of a cosmic spiritual thing? Yeah problem is that the movie never really rises to the occasion of that teaser mm-hmm. that that was always like kind of the problem for me but yeah it it for a while there kind of like was suggesting that there are a few moments in the movie that seem kind of mystical specifically when he shoots people there are multiple times where it seems like nicholas cage didn't actually pull the trigger and the bullet came from elsewhere the cop definitely 
Sir, step out of the vehicle now. Just do what he says, no. okay? No, he's too rude. He's way too fucking rude. Now, now I'm not going to reward that type of behavior. Out of the vehicle uh, now. Or what? Really? You're going to shoot me, man, for not getting out of the car. You're going to shoot me in front of my friend here. We're, we're not friends. We're out not. of the fucking car. Because this is Officer Cook is getting <laughs> Control 1, Nora 61. Get behind Control. me, Satan. What? All of a sudden, a bullet seems like it came like off frame from like the other direction. Mm. It's just this really weird thing. And I perked up. Honestly, when I saw that, I'm like, yeah. oh, we're actually yeah. putting a supernatural twist on collateral. We're not just going to do another fucking lame crime thing. And, yeah. and I would have liked that more if they really leaned into that. Like he could just like call a shot and bullets fly there from God knows where. And yeah, they also like don't make him competent enough as like an assassin. Because he's obviously drinking for most of the day, so he's kind of unhinged, and that's obviously like a very cagey thing. He's definitely made a couple movies of him drinking in Vegas, but like at the same time, like you're you're not really terrified of him. He's not like unhinged in a scary way. He's just kind of you know incompetent. You actually believe the entire time that Joel Kinnaman would be able to get away from this guy. And so if you add that supernatural element to it, again, I don't even know if this was considered by the screenwriters, but like you know, at least give him something that makes him a formidable foe. And the entire time, like, he's compelling. He's interesting to watch. But am I thrilled? Am I scared? Am I rooting for him? None of the above, you know? He's, yeah, I mean, he's unpredictable enough. I guess that's the, you know, quote-unquote scariest thing about him. He's just completely unchained, which is cool. You know, certainly gets to a point where he's sort of killing people at a moment's notice. Um, but I was confused by the end of it. I guess I'm jumping ahead a little bit. But does this movie want you to feel bad for the guy by the end of it? Uh, I mean, it's in the title. Well, uh, that's my point. I'm like, wait a second. Wait, a second. You're, you're actually asking me to feel sympathy for the devil here? That's right. That's right. But he's a fucking... It's the name of the song, Adam. Well, I guess you're right. Which one, which one am I supposed to feel sympathy for? Because, like, I feel like the title is referring to Cage as the devil, even though Cage refers to Kinnaman as Satan. Mm. I think you're supposed to feel bad for Cage. But I don't feel bad for Cage. Yeah, no, no, I don't think you should. But, <laughs> but I just want to be clear that, like, you definitely shouldn't be able to feel bad for Kinnaman. Well, I don't. I, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, I don't really care what I'm happens. I'm curious if we ask the director, who is the devil here? I'm curious <laughs> if they'd say. I'm not yeah. sure they know. It's both of them. Mm. It's whoever you want Ugh. it to be. That's the twist. There's two the devil is you for watching. <laughs> oh, fuck off. That's <laughs> <laughs> always the worst. You are the devil audience. All right. So, yeah. So we open this movie. There's a bunch of aerial shots. It's like collateral, right? Jill Kinnaman, his wife is about to give birth to their second child, although there have been miscarriages in the past, right? We know that these deliveries have become fraught for this couple. So there's a lot of urgency that he get to the hospital that night and quickly. But when he gets to the hospital, a, a red man, <laughs> a red Nicolas Cage <laughs> enters his car Holds him at gunpoint, tells him pick a cad. Boston. Did you, you guys <laughs> flagged the Boston accent at this moment? Yeah, I'm not sure I flagged it as Boston specifically. I'm like maybe keep talking. All right, it's a really really bad Boston accent, <laughs> but okay. Yeah, all right, it's Boston. <laughs> you know, clubs, hats. <laughs> there was a bit of me that was like Joel Kinnaman was trying to run off the set of this movie and then Nicolas Cage pulls a gun on him. <laughs> it's like, you're not going anywhere. 
You're doing this movie. <laughs> yeah. I'm your family emergency now. That's a good line. Pretty good line, like actually. Line. Pretty good line. Yeah, so he's from Boston. I don't know really what the implication here is. Is that like all evil originates from Boston? Is that what's happening? I think it means uh, their mascot are the Red Sox, and red is in the title of Red Sox, so therefore red hair. And also, I'm I, sure Cage was wearing red socks. That's true. <laughs> and also, Irish people have red hair, and there's lots of Irish people in right. Boston, right? I guess. Well, you really <laughs> dug into the subtext of this, Adam. I did read a review that was like, why are they making the devil this very like Irish Catholic guy from Boston? Mm. You know, is there something to that? You know, is there a spiritualism there? I think Nicolas Cage has some dice at home that he rolls and whatever number he gets, that's his accent (laughs) for the movie. (laughs) This movie would have been no different if he had a Boston accent or not. It could have been any accent. Nope. The movie wouldn't change. So so I can only assume that that was a stylistic choice on the part of Cage. Yeah, it's possible like there's only one line in the script about Boston. Like the the word Boston might just appear once in the script, but he highlighted that fucking thing and circled it a hundred times and is like, I'm gonna build an entire performance out of this detail. It's definitely possible because I, I feel like when Cage is doing the whole backstory of like why he's doing all of this to you, I feel like he mentions that he's from Boston or from Massachusetts or something. Yeah, he does. He does. So yeah, that's the only reason for this ridiculous accent, which I love. I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> So he tells Kinnaman, we're driving. We're going to Boulder City tonight because my mother is dying of cancer. Kinnaman doesn't buy it, but he just continues on this road trip. They stop at a gas station at one point. He almost alerts a woman to the fact that he has been kidnapped and is being held hostage. Uh, that I seen, by the way, is is one of my favorite Nick Cage line readings, which I believe is improvised. I have to imagine it's improvised. When Cage looks at him and goes, sup. Sup. I, I always love the time extension. This doesn't matter at all. I, I was just kind of laughing. I'm like, oh, that's a really, really, really big gas tank that Jill Kinnaman's got for right. this car that he's driving. Or a really slow pump. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the slowest pump ever. Or it's a 25-gallon tank or something right. on this little car. Yeah, I've been to some slow pumps. They're they're a thing. I guess there's slow pumps out there. I guess so. Honestly, I'll pay an extra five cents a gallon for a fast pump. Damn. There's a gas station near me that is known for fast pumps, like super fast, like dangerously fast pumps. Dangerously. (laughs) (laughs) If you hold it a a second too long, like the entire car might explode. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll go to that one just because it's like the quickest gun in the West, you know? I love, I love the idea that they have like a big billboard, like fastest pump in town. <laughs> pump at your own risk. Yeah. <laughs> this one, as you said, though, comically slow. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Cage is being really mean to Kinnaman. He's, Kinnaman is trying to get his way out of this. Just like, hey, man, I have a family. Let me go. What's your name? You know, all the things that you're like taught to do if you're ever kidnapped by a psycho. Or at least like you hear about on TV. Um, they always say, like, if you encounter a, a mass shooter or something, or someone that's, like, on a murderous spree, like, tell them your name. Just tell them your name over and over again so they sympathize with you quickly. Mm. You know what I mean? If she keeps repeating the name, it's that much harder to tear her up. That's from Silence of the Lambs. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's where I heard it from. Nah. It wasn't a psychologist. <laughs> God damn it. It was James Gum. <laughs> 
That's exactly right. <laughs> it was fucking Buffalo Bill. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, he's trying all these things and Cage ain't buying it. And it's like, man, what, what is Cage's deal, man? Why are you being so mean? You know, at one point he kills a cop, calls the cop an authoritarian little prick. I thought that was pretty funny, too. This guy's a real, like, A-cab. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's like, what's going on here? But uh, meanwhile, we've been sprinkling in a couple details about Kinnaman's secret past. Him and his wife have a secret that is teased at the beginning, and you're like, all right, well, we know where this fucking movie is going, right? Because we've seen a history of violence or whatever. I did like the tease for what was going to come when uh, Joel Kinnaman does, like, a tuck and roll. He tries to escape, jumps out of the car, uh, and, like, like looks like he breaks his, his shoulder and whatnot. But during the tussle, Nick Cage somehow breaks his nose in the car. Hmm. And he gets out of the car, and he's just like, I dressed this night to be 100% sexy. <laughs> now I'm only 50% sex. Huh? You like that? What do you think? Still sexy? Dressed up for this night. Now you, you break my nose? I, I wanted to be 100% sex tonight, and you cut that in half. I'm now 50% sex. Look, see that? I'm Edward G, see? I'm Edward G. Robinson. You can't kill me, see? <laughs> yeah? Doesn't he call Kinnaman a stud muffin? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Oh, okay. you stud muffin. Yeah. <laughs> a, lot of, <laughs> a lot of references to how handsome he looks. They are not checking this script, okay? They're just no. never, they're never looking at it. Like, okay, that's the scene. I mean, 50% chance the script is written by an AI. <laughs> Let's be honest. Hey, don't joke. You might be right. Luke Paradise. They fed an AI those three movies you just listed and said, write a new movie. That's it's kind of what this is. Starring Nick Cage. I mean, <laughs> you got it all. This is when you put it that way. Yeah. You get all of Cage's woos, you know, like all of the memeable moments you expect out of Cage. I mean, it delivers on that at least, yeah. you know. Yeah. But yeah, in a way that an AI kind of could, right? I will also say this, like to this movie's credit, it, with the Nick Cage of it all, it's not a jujitsu. We were not duped here. This is like, you know, hey, we, we, it delivered on the Nick Cage-ism. So to those of our listeners who come to us for seeking out the best and worst of Nick Cage, this is a good proper Nick Cage role here, I would say, if, if you're just in it for the Cage of it all. I, I did mean to ask you, Nico, was Renfield closer to a jujitsu? I mean, like, he's playing Dracula, and it's a movie about Dracula, so it's not, like, that level of a bait-and-switch. But, I mean, he is not in as much of the movie as the trailers would imply. All right. Definitely. And that was disappointing, because, again, he is the best part of that movie by a metric shit ton. I like Nicholas Holt. Is he any good in that? He is good. All right. He's fine. I don't think he's ever bad. I think he's always pretty good. Yeah. Um. And yeah, then, then, you know, this car ride continues. Not much happens. They finally get to a diner and this is where they finally let Cage let loose. Yeah. With the tuna melts. That's right. Get slide me some cheddar under the table. You don't put mozzarella <laughs> on a tuna melt. The, the one memeable moment. And I, I do wonder if once people get a chance to watch this movie, it will become a gif of some kind. But when they're in the diner and Cage begins interrogating Joel Kinnaman about his true identity. And, uh, well, he tells him to sit the fuck back down. You're the witching hour. <laughs> the waitress, she mentioned that earlier. Do you know what that is? It's European folklore. 
noting a particular time of night when all the supernatural creatures slither out and run amok. And I, I always like that. I like the idea of crazy no on a Do not fucking interrupt me! God damn it! I told you that in the car! You're always running off at the mouth! You got a motor mouth! There's a motorboat stuck in your mouth! Just shut up! Shut the fuck back down! It is amazing how he delivers that fucking line. And you also get some Cage facial expressions, too, much like you get in, like, Vampire's Kiss. And Cage dancing, too, eventually. That dancing felt like Nicolas Cage only knows two dance moves, and he keeps using them in the same movie, or in all of his movies. This is the moment, by the way, this scene where I'm really not sure if Joel Kinnaman was acting. Because <laughs> those facial expressions too, like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> are so convincing. <laughs> it was really great to just watch. And I'm not sure I was in the scene, but God, was it entertaining. <laughs> yeah, he's not really scared. He's just confused. Yes. And that's the thing about this performance it's, and why it kind of works. <laughs> you know? It's that Tucker Carlson. <laughs> that was, yeah. Oh, that fucking like. <laughs> I can't do it without laughing. <laughs> no, nobody can do that look. It's really funny. It's, it's so inhuman, that fucking look he does. I it know. is just. He like must practice that in the mirror. <laughs> He's like both squinting and wide eyed at the same time. It's so hard. And then he does like that weird chuckle too. Anytime someone says something ridiculous. He goes, oh, that's so hilarious. And he goes back to like the straight face. He's really a fucking cyborg, that guy. You think so? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway. So, yeah. Uh, as you said, we get a chance to see Cage sing, lip sync to the, the, the disco song. I thought this was like a perfect opportunity to get the Stone song in there, but I imagine it was too expensive. I was waiting for the song as well. Yeah. Yeah. I thought like oh, maybe it'll come at the end. It's the credit song, but nope, not even that. You know what pulls a similar bait and switch, which is a great movie, but I understand it's an independent film, but Thunder Road, the Jim Cummings movie, does not feature the Springsteen song Thunder Road, even though it's about the song. Yeah, that's right. It is about the song. I find that frustrating. That's so weird. They don't play the song Thunder Road in the movie Thunder Road. I'm trying to think of other movies that miss it. Did they play it in Sweet Home Alabama? Sweet Home Alabama. That is a great question. I couldn't <laughs> I tell you. I don't think they do. I haven't really committed to photographic memory of the Reese Witherspoon <laughs> rom-com Sweet Home Alabama. I got to be honest. In my eighth grade class, my all my teachers had like their own unique posters and they were big posters. You know, yeah. they were like like the height of me. Yeah. Um, well, not that I'm big, but really like for, much. for a movie poster, that's a pretty big poster. Sure. Um, but she had this like five foot tall three foot wide movie poster of sweet home alabama mm. and every time we're t- it's in like the front of the class and every time i'm taking a test i'm just looking at reese witherspoon smirking at me and it was like the most distracting thing ever yeah you ever have posters like that or it's like they're committed to your memory even if you haven't seen the movie or have i haven't seen thought the about the movie yeah i had not seen the movie at that point no but that poster will always be burned in your brain you yep, know? Yep. it just exists as a poster it will always I'll always feel like i'm being transported to eighth grade <laughs> when i see that thing apparently the song sweet home alabama is played in the movie but it's performed by cornbread it's cornbread a band i imagine they're not the band who wrote that song no they are not <laughs> no they are <laughs> certainly not <laughs> 
<laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> Who the fuck is cornbread? They don't even have a link. Like, I can't click cornbread to find out more. <laughs> like, I have to assume it was, like, performed by a loaf of cornbread. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> by a lineup of cornbread. <laughs> so yeah, we got this exposition dump when Cage is sitting with Kinnaman at the table and then he ends up finishing this exposition dump after Kinnaman has broken free, after Cage started a fire in the kitchen of the diner. Things have gone awry, right? I think two guys end up getting shot. One of the patrons at the diner, another one is the, the, the cook, the head cook. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a waitress as well there. None of these people have any like major roles in the movie. I mean, it's truly just a two-hander, this thing. Yeah. But yeah, these people kind of just populate the diner as collateral damage. <laughs> oh, damn. He did it. He's a genius. Thanks. <laughs> it is hilarious how ridiculously empty the diner is, though. Like how few people they could actually get. Right. Especially for how big the fucking diner is. Like, they could have just used a small diner, but they got the biggest fucking diner I've ever seen for this movie. Have you ever been to a diner that big? I'm serious. Oh, yeah. Uh, I actually have. You head out west and you do see more of those, like, diner casino combos that kind of had, like, slot machines in the corner. This one, I think, had some slot machines and... You know, also served booze. Uh, but no, I don't think I've ever been to one that big. Like, it's really big. Mm-hmm. I love a diner. I do, too. Me three. Michaela and I, I'm going to take us on a tangent. We just went to a diner recently because uh, it's about to be featured on uh, Guy Fieri's Ooh. diners, dives, and drive-ins, or whatever the fuck right. order yeah, those yeah, three you, things you got go. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> as long as you say all three of the things correctly, it's a win. Diners, drive-ins, and dives. There you go. That's the, I think. <laughs> I always wonder, like, because he, he always does that in a car. He's always like, well, see you next time on Diner. Like, do they fly that car out? Is that a car <laughs> that's, because he isn't actually driving from city to city. <laughs> fly it out on an aircraft carrier? Yeah, because it's always like a nice convertible or something. You know what I mean? I guess, maybe. May- like, he's not literally taking a road trip across the country. You don't think so? No. Why not? They, they fly in private. He's Guy Fieri. He's the crown jewel of the Food Network. You know what I will say? M- Michaela's brother had to drive a truck carrying a trailer, carrying a car in it from Connecticut to Mexico so that his boss or the owner of the vehicle could fly to Mexico and then drive that car in a race. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, there must be an intern that yeah, is you're responsible right. for getting some... the car out there. But probably, then I think, yeah. like, is he banging these out just, like, on a random freeway in Malibu or whatever and pretending that it's Oklahoma? But sometimes, like, you'll see road signs, and that's definitely not the case. He strikes me as a man with integrity. Like, he's going to do it for real. <laughs> I actually don't think Guy Fieri is, like, faking it in any capacity. His entire persona, everything. I think the guy is the real deal. I think he's potentially one of the most artificial human beings that's ever lived. I, I, I think you could not be more dead wrong. <laughs> I could not disagree with you harder. On well, a none of guy is a Food Network host. This might be the single subject that you and I are, like, furthest <laughs> apart on. I mean, I will say this. None of you have pronounced his name correctly. 
How is it pronounced? Fieri. 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 Oh, close enough. Fieri. Fuck off. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the guy has like flames for a haircut. Like he's fucking fake as hell. Well, he's shameless though. Nothing so wrong that. with that. There's that. <laughs> I mean, like he's never said a genuine statement in his life. He's not Jimmy Fallon, but <laughs> you're so full of shit. I'm not sure he's that bad. <laughs> I, I love the guy, but like he's all persona. You can't be like this guy is fucking real. He's telling you the truth about all these diners, <laughs> drive-ins, and dives. If you want your news, go. Has to he ever disliked a pancake he had at a diner? I haven't seen it. No, no, but no. You, but I don't think you understand what I'm saying. I don't think the guy has taste. I think he likes everything. I think, he, but I, but I think he's honest. I think he's just like here for the fucking ride of life. I just don't know if, like, besides U.S. senator, if there's a more inauthentic job title than Food Network host, like from fucking Emerald to Paula Dean to Martha Stewart to Rachel Ray. That's why Guy Fieri stands out. Among what are you those talking people, about? Though. He's like the you look it up in an encyclopedia. Guy Fieri's face comes up. <laughs> Like, literally, he became famous because they did the next Food Network star reality show. And it was, like, in the height of the reality boom. And Food Network's like, how do we find another guy that was born to be a Food Network star? Like, he was literally in a competition. He was picked out of a lineup to be that guy. They're like, you can really fucking lie about how tender this steak is on on national television. No, 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 hold on. That's even more because that, like, shows how, like, he was just born innately like this. That's my point. There's not a team of people behind him that have like crafted this persona. Like that's him. Okay, but don't you think like there are some people that are born fake? Born fake? Yeah. You can't be born. F- that doesn't make any sense. Oh, I don't know. I've met him. I really don't think the guy is full of shit. I just think his standards are really low. He just loves life. He's here for it. He doesn't care. There's a lot of foodies like him out there. They will treat like a five star meal in New York the same as craft cheese. It's, it's exactly what we do on this podcast. <laughs> yes. With movies. Sure, yeah. sure, sure, sure. Yeah. No, I accept that. I think that's great. I just don't know if I've ever heard him say a statement in my life that I've believed. <laughs> <laughs> well, you also don't eat. You that's also don't true. eat food. So I'm not even sure this is really your wheelhouse. Even when I don't eat the stuff that he eats, I'm always like, that looks pretty fucking good. So I don't know. That's great. I just don't think like. He's fucking Walter Cronkite. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think. I like, never said he was. No, they're like, this guy's he's so just, real. Like, he's so salt of the earth real. Absolutely. It's like, he's a fucking, he's a Michelin man on TV. Like, what are you talking about? He's a fucking giant meatball that rolls around the country and eats <laughs> food and talks about how good it is. That's not like authenticity. There's a persona. I definitely think like in person, he's one of those guys that's just like the fucking man, though. The fucking Kurt Cobain, you know what I mean? He's not like, I'm so real. You don't. Like, no, he's polished. That's fine that he's polished. You think he's polished? Of course I do. I, I don't know. He's a TV host. Nick, you don't have to explain it to me. It's my dream job. <laughs> we'll have to agree to disagree on this. This is my hard line. Guess we'll have to. I'm not taking any firm stances. I, I abstain. <laughs> You're a real Guy Fieri. Right yeah, there now. you go. <laughs> uh, so diners, yeah. So they're in a diner. <laughs> diners are cool, man. I like diners. Yeah, I like diners too. Adam, did you eat a tuna melt? Uh, sure. It's not my, my Would go-to. You eat a tuna melt with mozzarella. Mozzarella. You can do or mozzarella and cheddar. By the way, that's pro- I, I'm a weirdo. I'd probably do something like that. Cheddar. 
Yeah, they have some cheddar. Well, actually, no, it's there's no special substitutions. No substitutions. Yeah. No substitutions. You get what it says on the menu, but this waitress promises to slip a little cheddar under the table for Nick Cage because he wants some cheddar on his tuna melt. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to when Cage is going on a murderous rampage and finds her in a bathroom stall and asks her, were you serious when you said you were going to give me some cheddar? And she goes, yes, I did mean it. And he spares her life. Isn't that the exact opposite of what happens, Adam? That's not what she says, right? What does she say? He says, were you being honest or were you being an asshole? And she said, I was being kind of an asshole. She said I was being a dick. And then he spares her. Yeah, yeah. I was. Oh. Being, she's crying. I was being a dick. No, she admit she admits that she was being a jerk and just fucking with him, and he lets her go. She was being, yeah, even more honest. Yeah. Oh, I miss I misheard that. Yeah. Yeah. So he respects her honesty. That's right. Jesus. And lets her go. That's right. Pretty sick. <laughs> now he likes it more. You know what? It's a good movie. <laughs> Hell yeah, that's actually pretty sick. <laughs> that was the one point that just brought him a full three sixty. No way to one eighty. <laughs> Do you like that callback? Do you like that callback? <laughs> Guys, we're making a solid fucking episode. <laughs> <laughs> we are making some lemonade out of these lemons today, boys. Let me tell you. I didn't think we could do it. <laughs> um, Cage has some mob affiliations. Yes. At one point, Cage was forced to kill a guy and the wife happened to be in the room when this was going down and she was all traumatized, started drinking, started blabbering about mob business. And that's when this fixer was called. This fixer gives him a call and is like, all right, so your wife needs to be dealt with here, right? We're going to do this easy way or the hard way. And that's yeah, when Cage decides he's going to flee. He's not going to allow this to happen. He's going to get his wife and daughter out of town. And yeah, before he has a chance to do that, the fixer ends up killing both the wife and the daughter. Yep. Yeah. Daughter was a collateral damage in this. (laughs) (laughs) The intent was never to kill the daughter there, but she was in the room. So, right. Good twofer, though, for the people who paid the hitman. That's true. It's good to kill two stones there. Yeah, totally. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I love so, that you're using Nico's grandpa's <laughs> incorrectly pronounced idiom. I love Nico's grandpa's brother's idiom. All right, I love that ri- just ridiculous idiom. It is like you say, like is that favorite. is so. What the fuck are they talking about? <laughs> I killed two stones, you know. <laughs> I love it. Let, let him be. He's rolling. <laughs> My uncle Dominic legitimately doesn't know what the actual expression is. Are you kidding like, me? It's become such a thing now, and no one's corrected him all this time. And it's to the point now where everyone that quotes him now forgets what the original idiom is, and I use it like it's interchangeable. I think it would break his heart if you told him at this point. It would break my heart. I'm ba- I'm barely sure what it came from. <laughs> This is how the whole blood is thicker than water thing happened, where there's actually a longer phrase that means the exact opposite, <laughs> but nobody knows that one. Yeah. Kill two stones. What the fuck? <laughs> Watching like a hundred years from now, people can be like, did you know the actual phrase was 
kill two birds with one stone. Right. Like, it what? is going to be, it's like begs the question, <laughs> you know, begs the question doesn't mean bring up the question. Mm. It's like this whole other fallacy, but yeah. it's just used as <laughs> brings up the question. That's right. Yeah. 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 So, uh, uh, Nick cage is now on a mission to find this fixer mm-hmm. who allegedly is in hiding in Las Vegas. And he accuses Joel Kinnaman of being this guy. And if you're paying attention to the plot of this, although this plot point is brought up very late in the movie, when you hear this story, you know where it's going. Well, obviously, Kinnaman was talking about his secret. Mm. He certainly is this fixer, right? Turns out Joel Kinnaman has a history of violence. He sure does. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) He has a history of violence, so he... Takes the red eye to Vegas. <laughs> um, they didn't lock the car. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, really nailing this, this bit. Is terrible. <laughs> and yeah, and, and so you know, does this contradict the first? 50, 60 minutes of the movie where Kinnaman seems like an unwitting victim of Nick Cage's kidnapping scheme? Uh, certainly. Do we care? Not really. It also it kind of justifies Kinnaman's acting, though, throughout the movie, which some might say is just bad, but I would say was purposeful. I don't think it's bad. I, I, I... Well, because he's never scared for a single moment, and that only makes sense at the end. Right. Yeah, he's he's calm and collected, I guess. For someone in that situation, I would say, yeah. Right. I mean, it just doesn't, like, it. first of all, it doesn't make sense that Nick Cage waited that long to kill him because Kinnaman doesn't ever really confess. He semi-confesses, although Kinnaman claims that it was just to appease Cage, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. like, he never gets a true confession out of him. There's no reason why it had to be a drive. Yeah, there's there's no explanation as to what Cage's plan actually was. Right. Doesn't he even bring up, like, why didn't you kill me at, at the beginning? And it, Cage yeah. is something like, I wanted you to admit it. Yeah, or to something. say it. Yeah, to, to say, say the it. word. I wanted, I wanted to hear you say it. Yeah. yeah. And he still didn't say it, which is very <laughs> odd. And, yeah, they never get to, to Boulder City. I mean, this is the thing about this movie. It just doesn't really go anywhere. You know what I mean? It's, like, just half-developed and, like, I guess there's the bones of something interesting here, but it just doesn't fucking get to its destination, both figuratively and literally. Yeah. You know? I did like the final moment, though, where Jill Kinnaman does, you know, ultimately turn. Mm-hmm. And I actually really love the part where he's, like, almost huddled in the fetal positioning, telling himself, no, I'm David Chamberlain. Like, hitting his forehead, I'm David Chamberlain. That actually kind of worked for me. I was like, oh, that's a neat idea. That's okay. Kinnaman swerves the car off the road. Cage becomes severely injured. The cops chase him down, and Kinnaman then unholsters his gun, kills the two cops. And the way that it's shot, it's kind of shot in this interesting way where you can't tell if Cage is the one doing it or if Kinnaman is. And um, yeah, he finally reveals his identity. Didn't mean to kill your daughter. I'm hoping to give you closure at the end because I have not been able to find closure for myself. It was also really weird where he's like, I was gifted a son and I always thought that my son was like repayment for what I, the life I took of your daughter. 
I, I'm also sitting there and I'm like, well, what exactly is the point of this movie again? And I'm not really sure it has sort of any thematic relevance. Here. Yeah. You know, besides being like a pulpy crime movie. Which, you know, if movies like that are fun enough, it's okay if it doesn't have a grand point. But yeah. like, yeah, it's like I said earlier, it's sort of stuck in this really weird place of trying to be fun, but also being a little too methodical at the same time. And yes. It, yeah, it's, it's stuck in two very different worlds. So confused by this one. Um, yeah, and then Kinnaman chokes Cage out, mm -hmm. and uh, he dead. We're supposed to have sympathy for this devil, I suppose. <laughs> Even though, like, he's been like a real asshole, just killing innocent people all around along this journey. That's what I was saying. I'm like, I don't <laughs> care. Like, yeah, fucking kill him. I'd kill him. I don't. What? He <laughs> right. If he had like a code of ethics throughout the movie, yeah, of some sort. Sure. Like, if he wasn't just literally an anarchist. Right. And I, it doesn't really do the thing where his trauma is what's motivating him. Like you get the sense that he was always kind of a psycho. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because he is, you know, uh, from this criminal element. Always a criminal. Always had bad sinuses. We forgot to mention his sinuses were bad. Oh, my God. The sinus problem. That's right. <laughs> never have I related to a Nicolas Cage character more. Well, I've never been happy. You know why? Sinuses. Ever since I was a small child, I've had a stuffy nose. And even at the tender age of two years old, I knew the cause of my stuffy nose. I could see it in my dreams. And the cause was the mucus man. And the mucus man was a skinny guy in a suit and tie with a bald head and a briefcase full of boogers. And I, I could see him in my mind's eye going up, up, up in an elevator, briefcase in hand. And he glided across the floor, almost like a, like a snail's trail. And he got to my bed and he opened the briefcase and he scooped out a handful of boogers and he sprinkled them into my nose. I was like, what profound thing is he gonna say? You know what it was? What was it, Nick Cage? It was the mucus. <laughs> <laughs> Can relate. Can relate. Um, the the ending of the movie uh, kind of reminded me of Us. Okay, which has a similar oh, twist I, heel turn. Mm. That, number one, doesn't make sense when you compare it to the movie that came prior. Yeah. But also, like, didn't serve a thematic purpose. It was just a storytelling flourish in, like, the most empty sense of the word. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, you can both see this coming the entire way, but also don't understand why it's here. And that's kind of how I felt about this ending, you know? Where it's like, all right, I, I knew that this was coming. There was an inevitability to this twist, almost. And then the twist happens... And it doesn't really reframe the movie in an interesting way. No. Doesn't say anything about the larger world. Doesn't even inform these characters at all. Is just sort of there. And it's it, it's the worst kind of inevitable. You know, it, it's it's inevitable, but also doesn't illuminate. So it's like, it's, it's, it's purely random. Random without <laughs> surprise, you know? I do, I do want to just say, like, if you want to, like, right now, this movie is like $6.99 to rent. If you're going by legal means. And... I would say wait until it's free somewhere. That's right. Yeah. But it's a it's a great little 90 minute 
cage experience like i i would recommend this movie genuinely i mean not much happens the plot's not very good but like it's not boring no it's not no it's not it's not boring purely because of him though and if this is gerard butler or something in this role pass hard pass but you get a full nearly 90 minutes with cage i mean yes yes it's him let's do a little state of the cage check in oh what's he doing next well, there have been four movies released in the calendar year 2023 starring Nicolas Cage. The highest rated one on IMDb, although that doesn't really mean much, but the highest rated one on IMDb is The Flash. Oh, so no. That's not what you want to see. That's not good. He did a Western called The Old Way. He did Renfield, which I mentioned before is just fucking unwatchable uh the flash which he isn't really in he's just in like cgi jelly form (laughs) and sympathy for the devil which is as we mentioned fine yes but he has a movie premiering at tiff this year guys oh yeah and it's called dream scenario okay so that might be fun i'm really annoyed that the tickets are not on sale yet well they're gonna be on sale at the end of the month so i know I just keep feeling like we're behind the curve on this. I also feel that way. Yeah. It's very stressful. I <laughs> kind of broke out in a cold sweat last night thinking about it. If I'm being downright honest with you, I'm like, this is really approaching and I have not done enough research. Yeah. But like, but we also can't do anything more. Like, uh, we will talk off air. Okay. Go oh my God. I'd just like to say dream scenario stars Nicolas Cage and Michael Sarah. That is right. Uh, so. Hopefully we will be seeing that movie. I think it is premiering as part of their Midnight Madness slate. Oh, cool. So Produced by Ari Aster? Word. Hell yeah. A24, so there you go. So a- anyway, point being, Cage, State of Cage. Two more movies still coming. He's got another movie called The Retirement Plan, which looks like a uh, an action comedy with Ron Perlman and Jackie Earl Haley. I saw a trailer for this um, at the movie theater. It it looks not good, but fun. Yeah, I was kind of hoping that after that big paycheck he got for Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, and after all of the awards buzz he got with Pig, that this would kind of be another golden age for Cage. And I'm, I'm not ready to raise the red flag yet, but like maybe it's a yellow flag. It's slow if it gets there at all. That's for sure. Yeah. Threat level two, maybe, you know, like we're <laughs> yeah. slowly inching up and I don't know. I'm not really a fan of the last year or so. I think, though, like for this movie in particular that we watched today, I don't think you could call this a paycheck movie. Yeah. Maybe he was just trying. That's true. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm not expecting a perfect batting average here. Here's what I'm kind of hoping for. I'm kind of hoping that one of these major directors decides they want to make their cage movie. I meant to ask you this at the beginning. Who is the biggest director he's worked with? Like uh, Coppola. I mean, I don't know. The, the Coen brothers. I mean, you, a ton. Scorsese. Uh, uh, Ridley Scott. How about in recent years? Has he worked with any? Because I feel like he's kind of. David Lynch. Uh, yeah, that's true. John Woo. Brian De Palma. The great John Turtletob director of uh, <laughs> <laughs> National Treasure and The Meg. Turtle Tom, dude, talk about a fucking guy that just gets the job done. You <laughs> oh, <know>? hell yeah. <laughs> Turtle Tom is an all-timer. I mean, he worked with Werner in 2009. But why Why has that lately not been the case? Like, lately he's in this different scene. Is that? Do you think it's his choice? or 
No, I don't. I don't think it's his choice. I think if more directors were calling, he would answer. I mean, he he did the Snowden movie with Oliver Stone. That's true. Not a major movie, but a major director at least. I mean, it's not like he's against doing these big. Like, I mean, he did Spider Verse, obviously. That seems more like a paycheck to me for him than he works with Paul Schrader a lot. So it. it I mean, yeah. I th- I think like it's more a reflection of how few interesting auteurs there are working than like the fact that he is an interesting actor because I still think he is a very interesting actor. I just don't know like if there are as many Scorsese's as many Coen brothers still in need of an actor like that. Make him the villain in an upcoming Mission Impossible movie or something. That'd be insane. Bingo. You just got the green light, my friend. Congrats. I'm a a good pitch man. Go picture. (laughs) Oh my God. That is like too good to be true. Like that is like cage and cruise cage and cruise. Oh, listen to the, that just rolls so beautifully off the cage and cruise. Cruise would never let it happen. No, never let it happen. No, but it's funny. We were just talking about Philip Seymour Hoffman in the third mission possible, but I feel like cage is now in a similar zone where he is elevating all of these like mediocre movies. Like he's kind of like not the next Philip Seymour Hoffman because he was his, his career predates and it's still going well past Philip Seymour Hoffman's, but okay. That's interesting. But comparing that is it. Yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman though, is like, has, has Paul W. Sanderson ever, not Paul W. (laughs) Paul Thomas Anderson ever used him. No, PTA has not used him. Why not? Yeah. You're asking the wrong guy. I think that's a good combo. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't know. God, could you imagine Cage and Punch Drunk Love? Yeah, exactly, exactly. He, he, I mean, I love uh, <laughs> Phil Zimmer Hoffman in that role, but that's that's. Oh no, I'm talking about the Sandler role. Oh sure, yeah, definitely, definitely. He he fit like a glove in that movie. Oh, PTA, give him a fucking call, dude. Yeah, I think that's the move. Give this man a call. He is ready to go. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> You will never meet a more prepared actor. He fits so well in so many of these movies. Think of him in even like licorice pizza too. Like he'd be great as like, yeah, of course. Like the Bradley Cooper part. Yeah. The John Peters role. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. He would have been great in that. He could have played a hundred of the characters in Boogie Nights. How about the Alfred Molina role in Boogie Nights? Yeah. That's got Cage written all over it. Oh my God. He would have made Inherent Vice watchable. So there's that. Oh my God. He could have been fucking uh, Martin Short's role in that. Holy shit. We got gold. Are you listening, PTA? <laughs> now that you guys are saying it, it seems so obvious. Yes, it's like how is it's right there. <laughs> I'm just coming to this. Like, yeah, why the, Why hasn't this happened? <laughs> you nailed that one. All right. Uh, that is the pod. <laughs> we'll talk about Cage, I'm sure. Well, after Tiff, we'll talk about Cage. Hopefully we can see that movie. Hell yeah. And that is it. We are announcing what we're doing this month, Nick. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Nothing like halfway through the month to announce what we're doing for the rest of the month. Yes, that's right. <laughs> it's a short mini series. Yeah. Redux August. Redux August. Mm. That was Nico's rhyme. I I say it's close enough. Is it re but it's it's not pronounced redux, is it? I think some people pronounce it redux. I guess like the French say redo, but yeah, this uh, the, well, the French. I believe that yeah, it's done like redo, redo. Yeah, but we don't do we don't support we, the French here. That's yeah, true. We, no, don't, re- we don't support the the French. <laughs> I think I've heard it pronounced redux, but I could be wrong. Yeah, 
Redux August. It's probably the Brit. Yeah, it's probably the British pronunciation because I've heard them say fillet instead of fillet. Mm. <laughs> That's right. What you all don't realize is that Redux August has already begun. Yes. Because last week we did the two Suspiria movies, and now we're going to keep it rolling. Although we didn't this week, but we're going to keep it rolling <laughs> with, uh, yeah, more remake based podcasts. Yes. For you Two Cents fans, we will be having a special guest on probably next episode. Yeah. I yes. wonder who it is. You'll have to find out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we're going to talk about a remake of one of his favorite movies next week and a couple other ideas that we have bouncing around. And that should take us all the way to TIFF, guys. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I think it's going to be pretty sick that we were there the year that TIFF died. <laughs> That's pretty sick. Adam, Just in time for the funeral. God, Adam visits Toronto and he kills it. It was all my fault, guys. No actors there. The strike isn't anywhere close to done. A shit lineup. The New York Film Festival lineup just came out today, and it's like ten times better. It's great. Yeah, so the new Michael Mann Ferrari movie is there. <laughs> you should just consider submitting your your short film to TIFF. While oh we're my! There, <laughs> it's the only one. This like forty minute <laughs> stupid horror movie. <laughs> I can imagine like they're on the big screen, and somebody pulls up the YouTube video, and like you see their mouse moving on the screen. <laughs> You're sprinting to the theater because they have no content to fill the screen. Whatever will we play? They accidentally played Donkey's most recent video. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right. Uh, uh, okay. Redux August coming next week. Hell yeah. <laughs> and we love you, right? I think so. Uh, debatable. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>